Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I am responsible for it all. I'm Al Warren. Um, joining me in the co-host seats today, it's uh, crowded, but it's good. Um, we've got uh, Eric Shapiro, or the doctor, from the San, San Francisco area. I'm good. How are you? Good. I've been pretty good. I haven't been on in a while, so I'm excited. Yeah, you've been writing a lot of articles. I've seen you All that uh, stuff, yeah. making the news. You're sure causing problems. Yeah, I try. You know, the more I try and keep it level, the more uh, the more things get stood up, so I have no instinct for it. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Keep them talking. Um, yeah, and now from uh, the East Coast, we've got uh, Michael Hawley, Mr. Jack the Ripper himself. Hello, Al. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was thinking you are old enough to be Jack the Ripper. Well, you know, one of my one of my fiction novels was The Elixir of Life, and that uh, Jack the Ripper's still around. So uh, uh, just don't tell anybody that's nonfiction, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not touching that. Okay. 
Uh, today we've got, uh, looks like a great guest. Um, she's written a lot of good books here. So, um, Christy Cherish, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. Now, Christy, you've got quite the history here. Um, what got you into writing, first of all? <laughs> um, I, a happy accident, I think, is the is, is the best description. Um, I'm I'm science research lab trained, so um, be ending up in the fiction writer's chair was was not. Um, I if I had been told when I started university that's where I was going to end up, it's it's I I I would have looked a little sideways, um, but. Uh, yeah, so um, I was in a research um, genetics lab up in Canada here, so up at um, the University of British Columbia. And um, long story short, I always love fiction. Um, I, I love video games, fiction, um, sci-fi fantasy particularly. And um, I was always reading and playing video games while I was also doing research, so on the microscopes and things. I. And as I appear, you know, sort of approached the very end of my, my research degree, um, I realized that I loved research. I loved being in a lab. I loved doing all the genetic stuff. But I was probably not the most well-suited scientist for a teaching uh, position, which was where I was headed. Um, that's, that's kind of a career path. And so I started playing this fantasy game um, in my head of, well, if I could have any job on the planet and it would just be fun, what would it be? Um, and, and for me, it was well, really fun to be a, a fiction author. And so while I was writing at my PhD thesis, I also was writing up, um, I, I was doing some fun creative writing. And um, by the time I ended up defending my PhD, um, I also had my first fiction novel, um, which then I ended up getting an agent for, and then Simon and Schuster picked up. So that ended up being a very long story, not made short, but hey. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but it, but it's it's interesting um, because you probably went into science for your love of science, right? Yeah, um, I I ended up there. I. I envy people who knew exactly what they wanted to do in university. Like I know some people who wanted to be doctors and I know people who wanted to be, um, you know, teachers, you know, whatever. And I started off university kind of wanting to be Indiana Jones. Um, so of course I ended up in archeology span and, um, I, you know, like, like many first year archeology span students, um, that's, that's kind of what I, I figured, you know, if you stuck around long enough, despite the fact that on the first day they tell you it's not Indiana Jones. Um, I think mm -hmm. every first-year archaeology class goes out of their way to say this is not Indiana Jones. But I think there's a subset of us who figure, well, if I just stick around long enough, maybe. Um, and uh, again, through just going through the, uh, the courses um, and going through class, I, I realized pretty quickly that archaeology, um, and this is back in the 90s now, but... Um, Archaeology was probably also not the best spot for me. Um, you know, it's, uh, and, and part of finding that out was, um, the, at Simon Fraser, we had a, a very famous, um, uh, primatologist who was teaching first year anthropology and she was a Brutic advocate. So if you ever, if you think about primatology, you think about, um, 
Diane Fosney, Jane Goodall. Virgil Galdicus was the third one who was working on orangutans. And um, so we, we did get the core elements of anthropology, but we also got this amazing class of sort of that human evolution and, um, you know, introduction to, to, to primatology. And, and from there, it just kind of catapulted me into um, genetics and evolution and, and, and that sort of thing. So again, it wasn't the first place I thought I would end up. Wow. So you, you, so you write these like um, in uh, you know modern day Indiana Jane. So um, do you go out in the jungle and and practice all your scenes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it. It. I wish. I. I think all my practice comes from um uh from video games. So like um uh you know of course some of the the great RPGs out there, but um. The one I would think of is, um, uh, oh, uh, what is it, Drake's, um, the Drake series, Uncharted, um, where it's, it's very much an Indiana Jones game. So that's where I get to practice my scenes. That's pretty interesting. And you bring in supernatural monsters is what you're saying, temperamental dragons and stuff. So where does that all come from for you? Do you have like a supernatural sort of? experiences or background or interest like how do you tie that into uh everything i i think because i um because i i i was in the sciences for so long i i always gravitated towards sci-fi and fantasy because of the escapism aspect um and you know so there's definitely that um you know, monsters and um, monsters and supernatural gives you kind of a, a nice separation from the real world, which is is kind of cathartic. Um, you know, when when you're working on genetics and and uh, things that relate to cancer and and mutations and things, it's, it's um, you know, I I often found I was looking for an escape. I think there's also a real design um, challenge that comes into it too. So um, you know. Again, with as a scientist, like how do I make you know you know vampires and dragons and things like that don't exist. Um, I but there's a real challenge in okay, so how do I make this plausible enough so someone will suspend their disbelief, uh, you know, to turn the page. Um, and I, I think that kind of a challenge appeals to a lot of scientists who end up in in mm-hmm. sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, it made me think of, um, I know Michael Crichton was really big on that, right? That was like, you know, yeah. for the back, dinosaurs, we have the science has to hold as much water as possible. So is that something you try and do in the, uh, what's the word, verisimilitude? Like it has to be as realistic as possible? Yeah, you know, as, as real as, um, it always depends on the story. If you're doing something that's very, I, I absolutely agree on Michael Crichton. He, he was kind of a master because he was a medical um he, he went to medical school. Honestly. I'm not sure if he was ever a medical doctor, but, um, but yeah, like, I mean, his, um, he, he really brought his expertise so well to his, his novels. Um, I, I, you know, it's, um, there's the, the interesting thing about urban fantasy is, um, I, I think a lot of, a lot of writers who start off in it, it looks deceptively like, um, fancy light in world building lights because you kind of can use um use your urban modern fantasy you know the city there's cabs there's cars there's the internet usually um 
so on the surface, it looks fairly, you know, a little, it, it looks like you're taking um, not a shortcut, but you're cutting out some of the work because you don't have to build an entire continent or, or, you know, an entire world. But on the other hand, um, you, you have to make it blend in with the cityscape. How, you know, what a vampire is going to do in, in a modern world. Um, I, I think the tone, like as I said, the tone too also will affect how much you can get away with. So if I have something that's very spoofy and, you know, it's very tongue in cheek, like, like sort of a adventure Indiana Jones, there's a lot more you can get away with. Um, mm-hmm. When you get into the more noir, uh, you know, and, and the more serious mysteries, uh, or, you know, a more serious tone of mystery. Um, then you, you know, I, I find personally you have a little less leeway because, um, you, you know, you gotta find different ways to blend things in. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, um, I, I think it's, um, I think every author loves those kinds of world building ch- challenges. So it depends on the uh, the genre or subgenre because you're always doing the fantasy element is always intact throughout the stories, but if it's more noir, it sort of uh, indicates more emotional seriousness, so it can't be as freewheeling and soft. So it's yeah, you know, yeah, that's interesting. But do you prefer to bring your scientific strengths to it, or sometimes you just prefer to cut loose and and have more fun with the imagination side of it? A little, a little bit of both. Um, one one of the things that that um, surprised me when I when I first was getting um, uh, feedback from from my editor, um, I I originally didn't think I was putting much science into my my urban fantasies. I I was kind of you know I, I'm not I wasn't putting in genetics and I, I certainly wasn't putting in codes like Michael Crichton was in, in Jurassic Park. I, I I was definitely in the fantasy realm. Uh, but one of the feedbacks I got was that there, to somebody who's not a scientist um, or, or hasn't had that introduction, there actually was a lot in there. Um, and I, I think part of it is because I was, a, I think I was in science for so long, and that's where my the bulk of my training is. Um, it, it's impossible to check what you know at the door when when you when you go into writing a novel. There are just things now that I take for granted, like uh, genetics. So. Um, in an accidental way, there ends up being a lot of genetics in, in my, um, in, in most of my works, um, just in the day to day of how does something work, um, you know, um, or, or cell biology with, with proteins. And it, it's not really something I think of, but it, it sort of ends up in, in the makeup, um, or, or the fiber of, of, of my novels. So Christy, uh, this is Mike. The, uh, the other thought about that is like, for me, I had my, uh, my master's uh, thesis was in uh, fossil stratigraphy and paleontology. So when I was doing that, uh, it was really quite intense what we were doing. So what I would do on the side would be write on my fiction novels. And it, so it sounded so similar that you had your first fiction novel when, when you were doing your when you were doing that. Were you kind of like was, uh, doing that on purpose so you can kind of think two different places because uh, your brain was so much in one side. And then you kind of switch off and on. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, it's, I, and that's that's interesting that you that you were doing a very similar. It sounds like you're doing a very similar thing where you were doing, you know, um, both at the same time. Um, I I found yeah I I found with um, you know it was kind of fun writing. I like with a 
with any kind of journal article or um, you know thesis thesis um, uh, thesis work, my experience with it was that it was um, it was a very restricted um, formal language that you uh, that we had to use for for cell you know for um, for cell biology and and the genetics um, papers that we were uh, uh, journals that we were aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a real um, there, there's almost like a set of rules that you're learning when you learn how to do a, a journal article because you you've got to have it laid out. You got to have the you know the experimental methods laid out a certain way. You got to have the you know there's a certain language that everybody's adopted for how do you report this kind of result. Um, so I you know in some ways the fiction writing was quite for me because I felt like I could actually write in a way where I was communicating with, um, you know, more than the 10 other people on the planet who worked in, you know, on my gene or, or my cell process that I was interested in. Um, and yeah, so I think it was the fun aspect, but also just being able to write something that I could give to, um, you know, my parents or a friend and they'd actually understand <laughs> um, what I was trying to say. So. Um, yeah, there's kind of both of those there. One of the things that I found was that um, the, you know, and I, I, I'd be curious, I'd be curious your science background if you found the same. Um, there's almost, a, there's a very similar um, or, or a parallel process in, in writing um, where the thought process, the experimental method, you know, you come up with your hypothesis, you then um, start testing your hypothesis, you, you put together your experiments, and then depending on your results, you you continue the story of that that um, that scientific question, that topic that you're you're writing about, and I I find that those um, that sort of thought structure of you know uh, translates to me in, in what I'm trying to write. You know, my hypothesis is well, let's try this story out, um, and my experimental methods are well, let's try these scenes, and you know, once I've written these scenes. Do I believe that? Do I believe the characters? Do I do I buy the story I'm spinning? Um, you know, and and continue it that way. And depending on the results of those scenes, that tells me the next scene or experiment that I need to put these characters into. Um, the 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 thing that I loved about fiction was when I'm right when I was doing an experiment. There's there's also a real creativity to science that I think gets undersold because. Um, People always talk about the the um, the memorization of sciences, but when you get to that experimental process, um, you're asking questions that you don't actually know the answers to. You've got a lot of background information that you can form educated guesses from, but you don't really know. So there there's a creative component that comes into imagining what your results might be and what questions you need. To and I find that I, I found that when I first started writing, one of the things that really appealed to me was that all of a sudden I could make up the, the, the ending 
to my experiments. I actually had a little more control over them. Whereas, you know, when you're doing an experiment in the real world, you have no control over the results. Um, and, and that's part of the scientific discipline is that you've got to, um, you, you know, you, you've got to look past what you want the story's outcome to be and, and see what's actually on the table in front of you. Wow. Now, this is part of um, this newest book we're talking about, Al and the Tiger Thieves. Um, so this is book four. Um, what is the Al series for someone that's never um, read any of them? Yeah, so Owl and the um, Owl, the Adventures of Owl, um, uh, is a series about a um, uh, archaeology grad student turned international antiquities thief um, who reluctantly has to navigate the uh, the supernatural natural world. Um, she uh, uh, has one rule: no supernatural jobs, and and that kind of goes out the window almost immediately when a, a dragon. Um, who runs a casino in Las Vegas, um, offers her a deal she just can't refuse. Um, and so it's, um, I, 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 you know, um, aspired to do a fun adventure novel. Um, and, you know, it's like with any writer out there, you can cross your fingers and hope you succeed. Um, but that, um, that was, that was kind of what I was going for. And that's kind of what it's, uh, hopefully, hopefully, what readers find it's about. Then you've been with uh, Simon and Schuster from the beginning, it looks like. Haven't they been carrying all these titles? Yeah, they have. Um, I, I uh, yeah, Simon and Schuster did, um, uh, we did four books, and then um, I have a separate series, actually, with Random House. Oh, so, right. um, a second paranormal series, yeah. So how is it? So you're, you're playing with the majors. You have these uh, very prestigious publishers. How has that experience been? It's been fantastic. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I was very, very lucky that things aligned that I was able to work with some amazing editors. Um, not having the, the MFA background, um, you know, and the, the writing background, having the science background, uh, what was great was um, I ended up getting a, a very good introduction um, to, uh, I, I guess, to to the discipline of writing it, it kind of felt like I was doing a master class, um, working, uh, working with the, uh, the in-house editors. So yeah, no, it, it, it's been a very positive experience for me. And it, it really, it, 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 you know, of course ended up being a crash course in, in publishing and marketing and just how, how that entire world works. Do they, um, they take care of a lot of the marketing visa, um, or is it uh, sort of split labor or how's that work? When my, so my experience is, and, and publishing is changing a lot right now, is um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of it is they, they do um, the editing, the covers, and uh, editing covers title, interestingly enough. That's, those are things you really don't have that much control over um, when you're working in, in, in-house. And they do uh, the, the lion's share of the marketing and publicity. Um, I, I think everybody now in you know, um, every author now is expected more to do, um, you know, with social media and with, yeah. um, you know, social media, the internet. The expectation is that you're also out there doing things. And you also see a lot of hybrid authors now, which was something 10 years ago that that was, you know, even five years ago that just wasn't as common. So a lot of people already 
who do end up with these publishing deals also have their own way of doing it where they've already got their own um, processes and marketing, um, you know, marketing sort of uh, sets, things that they like to do to in place. So it, it ends up being a bit of both. When you say hybrid, you mean that part of their list is self-published? Is that what you're saying? And that's yes. Yeah. 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 That is, yeah. So it's what, amazing. So, that, that used to be very taboo. But go ahead. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. When I, when I was first starting off in, in writing, it, it absolutely was taboo. Um, and you were warned, whatever you do, don't put a book up. You know, if, if you can't sell it to a, to a publisher, please, whatever you do, don't put it up online. And now uh, that's completely changed. It's like if you don't have a book, that maybe gets picked up by one of the big, uh, the big five. I guess it's, I used to say big six, but I think it might only be big five or big four now because they, they keep, right. um, condensing themselves. Uh, but, you know, now, uh, I know authors who have, it runs the gamut because I know authors who have self-published in the U.S., but Random House Germany, um, publishes their title in, in, you know, Germany. And then, wow. or in very, yeah, in various other, other languages in other countries. And then I know people who have the ebook rights. They, they publish the ebook, but the print rights are held by one of the big, uh, one of the big players. Right. And, yeah. um, or Audible. Yeah. So, um, and I also know authors who have now started getting back there, who, who had the, the, their novels were picked up and published by, you know, uh, one of the big house sub brands and, you know, a couple of years later, the ebook rights are being given back to them, and then they're self-publishing now online. Um, right. So it's all over the place. It is. It, uh, to my understanding, like a company like uh, a country like Germany, for example, or maybe Japan, or even Italy or Russia, like you could, if you're publishing in the U.S. at a high enough level of sales, then countries like those will pay a pretty handsome fee for the rights to publish in their territory. So I know a couple of authors that, to the best of my understanding, they, they do okay in the United States, like it's sufficient, but where their income is really coming from is when they sell those foreign rights, and that's what sustains them. So they just they need to just be adequate in the U.S., and then, is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, it's, and, you know, it's, um, it depends on the author, it depends on your audience. Um, it also just sometimes is a bit of a luck. There are authors who do incredible on Audible for whatever reason, they got the wow. right narrator, the right time. Um, and uh, oh, whose series is it? Uh, another Canadian author I can highly recommend in the sci fi um, wing, uh, the Bobiverse series. Um, and uh, it originally would not sell to. Um, uh, I don't have the I, I don't have the author's name in front of me, so apologies, it slips my mind. But it's. Uh, you know, I think it's been a New York Times bestseller now, um, you know, through the Audible platform and uh, ebooks. But originally that book wasn't picked up by any of the big publishers and um, self-publishing. And then the Audible, the Audible version uh, just took off like wildfire. So it's wow. been an international success um, and, and a really great series. So it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, you just don't know what's going to happen and what's going to stick, which is why everybody should just keep writing. Right, right. It sounds, it sounds like it's on the author to a certain extent, especially like you were saying with social media. The author has to be sure that they're operational as a persona and that, they're, that there's an ongoing marketing framework of some kind or another. But whether it comes down to self-publishing or traditional publishing or hybrid, 
is all going to, like you said, depend on the audience, depend on the, the nature of the content, and it really is. There's no formula anymore. No, there there doesn't seem to be. And, you know, it's it's also a there's, – there's also this component that uh, the overnight success, um, you know, especially in, I think, North America, we love that. And, and, and in, you know, Western Europe as well. There's that, you know, everybody loves that overnight success. Um, and, and one of the ones that always sticks, sticks in my head is um, the stories that I used to read about um, you know, probably back 15 years or so now. But, uh, you know, when J.K. Rowling was the Harry Potter series was getting really big, I would read these um, news articles before I was writing about how she would be writing, you know, on um, napkins and, and yeah. you know, so, you know, in a, a coffee shop or something, um, you know, and sort of portrayed as overnight success. And, and that wasn't the case. Um, she's mm-hmm. working very hard on it. He's trying to get the novel sold. And I think, um, you know, we, we kind of gravitate towards that story, but often it's decades and decades of, um, you know, it can be decades of work. Sometimes you do get those just. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Luminary starts when that first book out of the gate is some kind of vibe. Uh, you know, is, is, um, you know, there's almost like a, I guess a, a zeitgeist element around it yeah. where it just, it takes off. Um, but the vast majority of authors out there, you know, another, another very famous, um, series and uh, another wonderful, uh, American author, um, uh, Charlene Harris, uh, the, uh, Sticky Stackhouse series. She was, which of course got picked up as a, um, a series on HBO, which was True Blood. Um, she'd been a mystery writer for, um, for years and years. And, uh, I, one of the stories, I don't know how true this story is, but it's one of those, you know, stories that's been passed around at conferences, um, is that she joked once on a panel that, you know, she was an overnight success. Um, when she wasn't, she had been working at it for a very long time. Uh, just there was that moment where everything aligned and, um, she became a household name. Yeah, it, that's, it's interesting. It can be a bit of a curse to break too much too early or even to have the perception that you have. Because then, yeah. of course, you know, if, if the idea is for most people to sustain, I mean, you have one and done authors that do like one or two books in their whole career and that's their nature. But in general, I think uh, a lot of authors have the passion for storytelling and want to sustain and have a whole career. So that hype can really be a burden that's hard to shed. I mean, I, uh, when I started my career in my 20s, I had hype on uh, my first couple titles, and then there was a perception for the subsequent half dozen that I hadn't lived up to my early ones. But I was like, in my in my you know my hardest audit of myself, I was like, eh, I think they're fine. I just think, like you said, the zeitgeist, you know, it doesn't necessarily stay with you, and then you just you just kind of have to to play it as it lands. Yeah, and it's I, you know, especially especially nowadays with um you know, with, with the way that social media tends to run, I, I kind of worry that, you know, it, it turns into this echo chamber. Um, right. You know, I, I, I often joke that Twitter's the bar that you go to to get drunk and throw punches. Um, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and so for new authors coming out, if you have that happen to you, um, you know, I, I, I found personally that once I, once I sold that first novel, um, and, and that was a little insane. Like, I mean, I, I sold it, I got an agent and it was sold to Simon and Schuster in something like six weeks. Um, oh, that's awesome. which, which wasn't, which is not supposed to happen. Right. Um, and I, I kind of, you know, it, it's kind of like that expectation is set. And I sat there in front of my computer for about a month, just terrified to start mm. on the next novel because oh, of course they bought two of them. And I'm like, I, I, how do I do this? This wasn't supposed to, you know, to sell. What, how do I write a sequel? Um, yeah. and, and that, that was, you know, there, there, there um, uh, you know, you, you think about how some, some of these, these debut authors will come out with this, um, you know, where it does have that zeitgeist around it, um, and being put in that position of what do you do for your second book? That must be just abs. The, the amount of pressure that's got. Uh, oh, expectation. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's um, that is hard. You have to quiet all the noise. And then on the flip end of what you're talking about, and Twitter being like an ongoing bar fight, is something Al loves to talk about on the show. I mean, if you go all the way to the flip end, the current end of J.K. Rowling's career, she's now in sort of a sustained state of cancellation where she doesn't really get canceled because she's still commercially very powerful, but she's tied up in this, uh, you know, in, in this uh, the transgender issue. So it's odd. It's like she's still a commercial powerhouse, but by, from a certain segment of the audience, she has a mark on her. And it's just like, in, in, in the social media environment, it's just very confusing. It's like, are we supposed to like her? Are we supposed to keep our distance? And obviously Harry Potter is ubiquitous. So yeah, social media can be an odd place. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good way to phrase it. Well, she used to take notes on her napkins. That was in drag bars. Is that true? (laughs) No. (laughs) She just got in trouble. You know, she does the crime novels under a pseudonym. She does a series of crime novels. And one of the criminals was a transvestite. But only right. casually. There was only, like, one sentence in the whole book that indicated the criminal wore women's clothing. And then, of course, that that just compounded the ongoing transgender controversy. And then, you know, if you look at it with nuance, it's like, well, in that particular instance, it was a transvestite, which is a whole, di- whole different set of ideas. So, You know, when I look at myself, um, I, I, we just saw Dress to Kill last night. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah, Brian but, Palmer, yeah. But 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 look how that was um, how a transvestite was kind of portrayed in that. Oh, it's amazing! It's a shame too because that it can be a very liberating, fun, exciting thing. But yeah, at that point, that, that movie's like forty years old now. Yeah. yeah, it's like ooh, he puts on women's clothing, so something nefarious is going on. Yeah, he has to be evil. Yeah. And but then I still get complaints about my uh, my one book, um, Beyond Suspicion, because it's got Russell Williams and it's got him in in his um, in woman's clothing and a lot of people uh, complain about that on social media so you know you're also don't you have one you're working on or i don't know if it came out yet called killer queens it's the uh the gay serial killers yeah and that's 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 on hold at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I can't, I, that's like a hornet's nest i mean but to me it sounds fascinating i mean i mean you're gay it's fair game to go there but it's uh, i can understand uh yeah, that's yeah. right you know, for uh, a, a, a spirited discussion. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and also, also, Al, that uh, you know, the uh, the suspect I, I write on, Jack the Ripper, of course, that's what he was. Oh, right. So, uh, yeah. interesting. So we're gonna have to talk more. <laughs> Wait, so oh, was, Christy, uh, are you talking? <laughs> Mike, no, you're Mike, kidding. This was, is uh, this is great. <laughs> What's that, Eric? I'm sorry, Mike. He was gay, uh, the suspect, or he was a transvestite? Uh, well, he was actually a hermaphrodite. Uh, that's oh, he's what a, I, okay. I, I discovered, and then but okay. uh, he identified as a male, but he loved uh, teenage boys, and he would molest them. Uh, okay, so he was okay. So he's a molester and heterosexual. It's interesting these things, uh, his orientation and gender, they, it gets conflated, but uh, fascinating. And then it becomes very delicate to talk about for for obvious reasons. Yeah, but that then uh, so yeah, it's a long story. But hey, uh, Christy, you ready to listen to us talk? Yeah, no, Christy, <laughs> I want to ask. I want to ask Christy if you've ever had since. Uh, I mean, it's almost an inevitability to end up in this discussion when you're uh, content creators. Have you ever had any hot water around any of your content or something that somebody found controversial or misinterpreted? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely, you can't not. Um, yeah. I, it's just not possible. The, the funny thing that I, I found is, um, I, you know, the, 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 um, the, the older I get, uh, the more I see the appeal of having pseudonyms. 
uh, for writing. Uh, me too, me too, yeah. You know, just, uh, again, just because if the wrong person finds that you happen to write offensive, you, you could, it, it can get quite dangerous. Um, oh, really so I, yeah. yeah. Ironically, ironically, I always fantasize about, because uh, I've done a lot of ghostwriting for women, so I always fantasize about having the pseudonym of a, a you know, female and, and starting a, a books that way, but I could get in huge trouble for that if the truth came out. It's like even, but, I, but I'm just saying the, 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 the inverse of what you're saying, but I understand the appeal in general. You mean yeah. Erica? Yeah, Erica Shapiro. I think I, think I can. Ah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I Nobody like would ever know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, as is, is, is a, you know, woman, uh, female, woman identifying, you know, author, I yeah. am absolutely, it's definitely something that comes up where, you know, and it, it's kind of funny and it's a little unfair. It's yeah. okay for me to choose a male pseudonym and write under that. No one blinks an eye. In fact, with my first book, that right. was something they were suggesting because Ooh. they didn't want to cut out the male. They didn't want to cut out a male audience. They thought, wait a minute, we think this book is going to appeal to, to a larger audience. It's, it's going to be, you know, maybe we should go with a, a male name. And they scrapped that part way through. But you know, it would have been, but, you know, men who say write romance and use mm. a female pseudonym, that's kind of, that, that's frowned upon, but yet it's for, for very similar reasons. Uh, the, yeah. the issue that, yeah, no, the, the issue that I, I did get, um, very minor, you know, I, um, it, it certainly wasn't a, a large, um, the majority of my, my readership, but there were, um, there were three things that I, I did get, comments on two of them were completely out of my control um one of them was the title to my first to my um to one of my books which was okay. uh, in my second series my king Kate strange which was um originally i had uh, urban fantasy in in seattle so a voodoo practitioner lives in seattle with a brunch goes to a brunch rocket um and originally i i thought um i was going to title it after a movie uh, movie title. So, you know, plays on movie title. So it was going to be Dead and Drowned Seattle was what I submitted it as. And what uh -huh. I sold it to Random House under was uh, Dead and Drowned Seattle, Kinkade Strange. And um, that title was not going to fly uh, with the marketing department, sales department. So it got changed uh, to the Buddha um, Killing, which I personally did not have a problem with. Um, that came under fire. Um, as well as one of the covers, um, which featured, uh, an Asian, um, one of the Asian characters in the book, uh, it, one of the main characters. Mm. And, um, that just because of, um, and again, it was very, it, it certainly didn't, um, didn't go anywhere. Um, I guess is what I'm saying, but I did see comments. Uh, I did get emails and, and comments directed at me. Um, and, and part of that was, um, you know, I, I would say a very, a very, very small minority was concerned about um, having an Asian woman on the cover and um, not having uh, having my uh, by not non-Asian author. That was that was a very very oh, small my goodness. minority. So how, how, uh, but how but I did but I did get flax. Pardon? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, how how recently? Oh, that would have been about. Um, I guess that would have been when the first, when the first Kincaid book came out, which would have been 
2016, 2017. Um, in the culture wars period. Okay. Yeah. It never went anywhere. Um, you know, like my, my readership never, never had a problem with that. My, my publisher didn't get, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it never really went anywhere, but, um, but I, I did get, get a handful, handful of, of online comments and emails about it. Um, and the, interestingly, the, the third thing, and again, this was more of, um, I, it, this, this, I thought there was some great discussion about it, um, that, that readers, readers had with me, um, about, uh, the first hour book actually. And, um, it, it was not malicious in any way. And I, I actually, you know, as, as an author, I always stay out of this stuff because once the book's out there, I, I have nothing to do with it anymore. Nobody reads the same book the same way. Um, you know, so I, I just sort of sat back and watched, but I thought there was a really great, and I, I occasionally, of course, I respond to emails and things like that, but there was some great conversation about, um, whether or not one of the themes in my book counted as non-consensual sex. Oh, I see. Okay. Around, yeah. um, around alcohol consumption. And, you know, me being from the university crowd, it's, it's, um, and that sort of 1990s, early 2000s, it's like, oh yeah, people get, get drunk, go out partying. And it's, it's very much part of that college humor, um, and college oh, fiction, sure. I think, you know, sure. component. But, um, you know, as the book, books, I think those books got released in 2015. Um, and so by then, there was more of a, uh, I think, conversation about that. So, but that, that was it. That's been it. Cross my fingers, you know. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the words you said were key, like it never went anywhere, or at least in, in the case of the Asian uh, cover and title. Um, it's the, the never go anywhere. You never know if the ember is going to turn into a fire. And yeah. uh, it's just, it's one of those things we have to deal with. I think uh, politics is, uh, is trumping culture in the current environment. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think culture, you know, I mean, people have to respect culture and imagination and interpretation. And I, 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 that shouldn't be an old fashioned idea. So it's, it'll be interesting to see where this all goes. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, it's, there, there's a difference between insensitivity and, and sensitively approaching a topic. You can, I, I, I strongly believe any author can write about just about anything, provided they, you know, um, they approach it with sincerity, sensitivity, yeah. and, um, you know, authenticity, you know, authenticity. Um, you know, authenticity. And it's, um, but the opposites of those, the other things is, is a bad place to go. And, you know, we've all seen movies where those, those three things have not been handled as well as they should have. Um, and it's, it's, you know, okay, book then movies where, but most, mostly movies are the ones I think of where, um, sensitive, you know, topics have, have not been, handled the way they maybe should have and um you know it's gone gone badly yeah absolutely and things become dated too i mean there's there's yes. a lot you, can, you look back things that are older and you just see wow there was a blind spot i mean i, I watch uh comedies from the 90s there's like so much misogynistic humor and humor about women's bodies and it's like wow this was completely acceptable at that point and it's uh it's garish at this moment it's like i I, I, you know, and I'm not a censorship person or anything like that, but I, I sit there just not laughing. I'm like, oh, that's kind of gross, you know, like, so, you know, the culture changes. So there is, uh, there is something to be said for the monitoring that goes on, but it also can become its own sort of fashion where people are looking for a fight, like you said on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the other thing I think 
You know, I was just going to say about uh, historical fiction, uh, especially when I'm doing Victorian, I'm trying to look for a contemporary jokes. So I looked up jokes of the uh, 19th century, and they were all the worst jokes. You could never see any wow. yeah. They're all Actually, in England, it was all about Irish. Oh, people. God, yeah. So, but uh, that was one thing that I, I couldn't use them all. I had to use the easy, the lightest. Oh, that's, so <laughs> that's really interesting, yeah. Um, well, the, here, and go ahead. earlier, too, um, when just talking about, you know, um, uh, transgender, um, transgender, transvestite, and, you know, uh, you know, uh, non-binary identifying um, yeah. uh, people, and that portrayal historically, you know, there are two movies that pop to mind, and, you know, the question becomes, back then, they were hits, but okay. now, you sort of look at them, a Tootsie, of course. Tootsie, yeah, oh, which is a transvestite, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he, you know, it's, um, well, because he, he gets blacklisted, an actor who gets blacklisted, a very famous right. actor who was in that movie, too. Um, you know, and the other one being, uh, I think it was Soap, Soap Dish with Robert Downey Jr. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, 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 very, very famous. Um, oh, uh, Kevin, Kevin Klein is there, Sally Field. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. It, it's, Whoopi Goldberg. you know, it's star-studded, uh, you know, cast. And, um one, you know, it's it's um, one of the punchlines, of course, of that movie is is um, you know that one of the characters is um, I, is, is transgender, and that's the punchline. Uh, you know, oh, I, I don't remember that part of Soap Dish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's um, I, you know, and it's it, and it wasn't something. It was just part of it at the time. But um, okay. you know, you sort of. You look back at movies like that, and it's like, oh my goodness, um, you know, yeah. how how do they fit into, um, you know, the you know how how does historical film fit into, uh, you know, the world we're, we're in today? It's, um, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, also with with that particular issue with uh, the transgender issue, it's interesting. It's a, like a Rorschach test of how somebody can handle the quote unquote culture wars because transgender people are. And I'm not, this isn't even a hyperbolic thing to say. Like, there, there's danger. I mean, they have a high rate of violence against them, a high rate of suicide or suicide attempts. So to handle it, that really is like an alarm going off to handle it as consciously, sensitively, and like you said, authentically as possible. Like, if you handle that in a way that's flippant, like, you're really, um, you're just adding, you're perpetuating the, uh, the grossness that goes on against that group of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christy, question about that, too, is have your editors asked you uh, uh, kind of clear, did things like uh, substantively, like say, uh, do you realize that you have too many of these type of characters? You may want to add the female or male. Have they done that with you to kind of like mm -hmm. uh, take that into account? No, no, I've never I've never had those those conversations. I've had those conversations in, in my own head when I've been writing. So where I thought. You know, do I have too many, you know, all my, all my male, all my cops are male. Do, uh, can I maybe have a, a female cop right, in right. here? I, I tend to do that myself. Um, you know, it's uh, to a degree, but I, I, I think editors are, are definitely asking those editors and publishers and, and, you know, everybody in, um, in publishing now and readers as well are, are, are asking those questions. Um, you know, when, when they pick up a book, um, you know, or, or when they're watching TV, it's like, wait a minute. I'm, you know, are, are, are people being left 
out? Am I getting a, like, like you said, with the, um, you know, I thinking back to eighties and nineties TV with, with just the misogyny level that, you know, was there that you don't think of, you know, having grown up in the eighties and nineties, I didn't notice back then, but now looking back at it going, Oh my God. Um, yeah. you know, uh, another great one from, uh, uh, def- or, you know, before my time, but, uh, I dream a genie, um, watching some of the, I dream a genie shows, uh, you know, in the nineties when they were on reruns and just my jaw dropping on, on how the, uh, you know, the husband interacts, uh, bewitched was the other one, how the husbands interact with the wives and just going, Oh my God, this was on primetime TV. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it too. You have to. Um, it's where we came from, you know. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's what it's kind of. You know, people have to realize that in the eighties and nineties, we grew up. You know, we're born in the sixties and seventies, and so we started from that point, and it was much worse then. So. Oh, ab- absolutely, you know. and it, it's kind of a time of the science too. You know, you can't you can't go back and say. I I, I think it's it's um it's an easy pitfall to fall into when you're looking at any point of history. Um, but it, it's a, it's a really easy pitfall to, to jump into where you say, for example, taking I dream a genius, you know, or bewitched as an example, the original series, um, you know, saying, Oh, wow, they were bad for putting that on TV. Well, no, nobody at the time was, was, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, femi- feminism and, and was, was, um, you know, still in, in earlier, you know, was in much earlier stages. These weren't topics that people were talking about at the kitchen table. We talk about them now because of how we've, you know, progressed, but um, it's, it's, yeah, it's such a tricky thing looking at things from the past in their context. Yeah. And a lot in the sixties, they had a different, um, you know, it was, it was about race, and it, there was different issues going on, I think, in the 60s that created that atmosphere where the things like uh, what you were saying, Dream of Genie and stuff, it wasn't the topic. It's how they were. It, their topics were about what they were trying to change from the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just a different time. Um, yeah. But um, but it's all, it's you know, it's all good. I've seen it all. Been there, yeah. done that. A hundred years old now, and of course, you know, uh-huh. and and Mike, he's been through even more, you know. Huh? You know What'd you say? I when, can't when hear. When he was going to science class, of course. No. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, but but his science classes were a lot different than yours, Christy, because you know he was learning how to make the wheel round. Hey. Uh-huh. <laughs> this, well, this I saw. Is... I didn't realize. I, I didn't realize Mike was on the call. I thought he was tough with that. He, he That's okay. I get right some, I got my sleep. <laughs> you know these hour calls are long. Yeah. <laughs> get his beauty sleep. It's it's also it's also impossible to go forward if you don't have a past as a reference. Um, Good point. You know, like society. You know, it's you don't have anywhere to go if you've got nowhere to come from. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I'm I, you know because personally, I get tired of people. Uh, trying to cancel out others because of something. And I think, well, you know, th- we're all humans, and we're all tr- hopefully trying to do the best we can. And, and how we were in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it's, you know, there's good people and bad people, but you look to the good ones. And, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not, 
you know, I don't, I look at John Wayne, I don't cancel him out, but yeah, he was yeah. not a good person towards gays or blacks, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but does that mean I, I can never watch him again? Well, not that he's that good anyway, but you know what I'm saying? It's just, you, you just kind of take it as a big picture. Not Does that change how you write? Do you, do you think about these before you actually send in a manuscript then, or are you cautious? About about all all the issues out yeah. there. Um, I, mean, I you know I I try and do things. Um, I, I I try to approach things as, sen- as sensitively as I can, and I certainly um, before my manuscript goes to my agent, I I have sort of a very close group of first readers. I get it to plus my agent, of course. Um, mm. You know who reads my works, and um, they they do flag things that are not on on my radar um you know i've i've had things flagged before where it's it's you know and it's it's not um it's not that i've done something horribly wrong or written something horrible but it's just they've pointed out hey you know this line you've written in here could be interpreted this way you might want to be sure you want the character to say this and sometimes you do because you want your audience to think a certain way about a character that's the other thing that Mm -hmm. that goes into stories is sometimes your characters will do bad things because you want people to view them that way but yeah it's Mm -hmm. um i i try to and then you know of course my editors will you know, uh, we'll go through. And I, I find that, um, you know, editors always pick up on things that, that maybe aren't necessary. It's always, it, there's also the question of, is it necessary for the story? And sometimes you will have something in there that is not necessary for the story. And that's where a good editor says, nope, we're getting rid of this. We're getting rid of this entire scene. <laughs> wow. Well, we are um, getting close to the end of time, but where can people find you? They can find me um, on my website, www.christycherish.com, in the library. I always try and get a plug out there for local libraries. Um, on Twitter, uh, at Christy Cherish. Um, on Facebook, at Christy Cherish Author. And on Instagram, at Cherish Christy, just to be different. Yeah, well. And, and you know, and, and everyone, send in all of your hate mail. Just go for it. Um, <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's certainly been a, a great conversation and uh, very, very interesting. Uh, it's always good to talk to other writers and stuff like that. And, wow, you know, we've learned a lot. Boy, what did we learn? Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> let's see. That, that, that we need an editor to clean up Christie's work because it's so foul. And uh, she says that she loves the big publishing houses, but, of course, she'll tell us the truth when we're off air. Yeah. So, you know, we you know, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff. Here. Um so our guest has been the uh great Canadian author, Christy Cherish. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, guys. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.